Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport, the ultimate review of all the weekend's Premier League action. Alongside me, Sam Matterface, this week, Trevor Sinclair, the ex-Manchester City and West Ham winger, and TalkSport's Alex Crook. But go out, chest out, enjoy being a Man United player, Champions League, the biggest stage. If and when you win the game, you're through to the next round. Michael's going to be in charge. Michael's, I've got the utmost respect. I, I love Michael to bits. Becoming emotional now because he's top, and um, nah, that's um, they'll be they'll be fine. I'll I'll watch them and support. Them. Yeah, Oli is no longer at the wheel. An emotional interview saying goodbye after Solskjaer is sacked as Manchester United boss. Tears, farewells, but Manchester United might find that they're in more of a pickle now. We'll discuss the early runners and riders. Also, Mikel Arteta squares up to Jurgen Klopp, but his Arsenal team see their unbeaten run suffer a knockout blow. Chelsea lead the way with a couple of flying flankers. Stevie Glee, the new Villa boss, makes an immediate impact, and Dean Smith gets the Canaries chirping. All that and much more. It's the Premier League's best review, the Game Day podcast from Talk Sport. This is Game Day. Yes, Manchester United have sacked Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. United, who made the decision in the wake of United's 4-1 defeat at Watford, announced on Sunday that they've put Michael Carrick in temporary charge, while the club looked to appoint an interim manager until the end of the season. A statement said Manchester United announces that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has left his role as manager, but there are no serious contenders that have emerged in the immediate aftermath, and that is partly because the club and its board have seemingly made the decision without a proper plan as to how the, to fill the vacancy. I think, you know, we obviously must pay tribute to Ollie. There's not many managers that have the class to show their emotions as raw as that to the cameras in an exit interview hours after they've been sacked. But that is Ollie, and that's the kind of guy that he is. And we wish him all the best. 109 Premier League games, 56 wins, 24 losses, a couple of semi-finals, a final of the Europa League and second in the Premier League. But... The handling of his tenure from above has been nothing short of shambolic. A club that has got minimal football nous amongst its key decision makers have left themselves floundering to fill a vacancy that they should have filled either with Pochettino last December or four weeks ago with Antonio Conte. But as I told you, I think at the time, they were never going to appoint him because they did not want him and his confrontational style. Now they've left themselves with zero choice, really, because... People would have heard for the last 24, 48 hours, all of us talking about it. 
So I suppose the question is, Trevor, who is next? Contenders for the interim role? Who, who's the contenders for the interim role? Well, I think the, I think the, um, the, the the person that I believe is going in is Michael Carrick. An well, that's, that, that's the interim interim. Okay. We're talking about the interim, if that makes any sense, because they're going to have Carrick in charge for a couple of weeks and then they're going to have a, a proper interim manager until the end of the season before they appoint the manager that they want long term. Well, this, this, is, this is the mess that they are yeah. in. Well, this is, this is not football that I know. Um, this is not organised planning. This is not um, a club that I've had a manager where there's been question marks um, time and time again who think, you know what, we might have to let Oli go and we might have to bring a manager in. So the, the, I think the sensible thing would be to get um, a, a group of managers that you feel you would like in place. And then as these, these situations continue to occur, maybe have conversations with them um, privately and, say, and, and interview them. And then when you get into this scenario, you're in a position to say, you know what, Ollie, thanks very much. You've done everything you can. We appreciate everything you've done for the football club, but we don't want you anymore. We've lost trust. And by the way, this is the next manager that's coming in because we've been proactive and we've, we've made sure that from a buzz, business sense in football, we're ready to move. And this is the man that's going to come in. I think I'll give the club the benefit of the doubt here and suggest the fact that they publicly admitted in the statement announcing Solskjaer's departure that they are looking for an interim manager until the end of the season suggests they do have some kind of long-term plan. I really hope that is the case. Um, in terms of the short term, Laurent Blanc is a name that has been mentioned. He's currently pod- managing Qatar. I'm sure he would be tempted away from Qatar to manage at Old Trafford. Even I'm sure, I'm sure he would. Even on the short term, that, that's like you know, last time that they appointed a manager, they appointed them from the Norwegian league. Now they're appointing a manager from the Qatari All Stars league. It's not. It's not the kind of appointment that Manchester United is used to. No, I agree. And the other name is Ralph Ranić, who I think currently is a sporting director in Russia. So again, um, not necessarily the path that you would usually tread to Old Trafford. I think there's two two schools of thought here. One is, as I say, they've got their next manager in their sights. I do believe that Mauricio Pochettino is a leading candidate. We know that Sir Alex Ferguson is a big admirer of his. That isn't going to happen mid-season for the reasons we debated on your show on Sunday, Sam. The Qataris won't be willing to entertain any kind of compensation package at this stage because that will be an admission that Manchester United are a bigger club than PSG. They wouldn't want to make that public admission. I think if he doesn't win the Champions League, then the likelihood is that Mauricio Pochettino will be available next summer. And I know he remains really keen on that vacancy at United, so I can see that happening. Um, The other school of thought is there's still 26 league games to go. There's still a Champions League campaign to be played out at this stage. So if United are willing just to write off the rest of this season by bringing in a manager who perhaps isn't there for the long haul, what kind of message does that send out? It's a mess. There's, there's, there's no other way of looking at it. Just on top of that, you know, obviously we know the DNA at Manchester United. It's the 4-4-2, wingers getting forward, all the rest of it with the, you know, the, the, the golden era under Sir Alex Ferguson, who were met, by the way, um, at racing at Haydock. And uh, I had to take my hat off him to remember who I was, but never mind. Um, going on Manchester United's DNA, would you say it's the manager's DNA and style of play and philosophy that's going to, real things or is it going to be someone that has to come in and try and adapt to the Manchester United DNA? I think they would be looking ideally for a manager who plays attractive football who is willing to invest in youth Pochettino ticks both those boxes we had a caller to the boot room on Sunday suggesting Diego Simeone that doesn't feel like the right fit partly because he's on 
gazillions of pounds at Atletico Madrid and also because of that style of play. So I think they do want someone who buys into that DNA. You could say, what is the Manchester United DNA? What's the identity of this current Manchester United team? That was one of the big problems under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. You never quite knew what the game plan was. There's a lot of waffle that's spoken when we talk about styles and philosophies. I mean, you know, ultimately, supporters and clubs want winning football and they want it to be attractive because they want to like going to watch it. Yeah. You know, that, that's the DNA of every single club. And if, if people don't get that, then, you know, they end up getting, getting, getting the bullet. Well, eventually. Um, but in terms of hiring an interim manager, that is something that needs to happen immediately, doesn't it? Because Michael Carrick, with all due respect to him, and he's a very nice guy and a brilliant public speaker and someone I've met on a couple of occasions, um, he's not going to be able to negotiate what is already a very tough period. And you said it, you know, there is a Champions League campaign to play. There is a place in the top four to compete for. The idea that you can just write off 26 rounds of the Premier League is negligent at best. And if they think that they're going to sit, sit there on a cash cow while Manchester United go down the pan for the next six months then they've got another thing coming. It's a, just a ludicrous approach. And do you really, do you really in your heart of hearts, and you said, Crook, I give the club the benefit of the doubt that they've got a target in mind for the end of the season. Do you really in your heart of hearts, bearing in mind the way they have handled this entire situation, believe that they have got or are capable of, capable of having a long-term strategy? It's hard. It's hard to believe in, in this current regime because this is the regime that allowed Mauricio Pochettino to slip through their fingers, as you mentioned, at the top of the programme. It's the regime that more recently had Antonio Conte sitting and waiting to be offered the job after United had been beaten 5-0 by Liverpool. That was an easy decision. And I actually think Oli would have gone out with more dignity after that game than he did by being booed by the fans who used to adore him at Watford. So that's a problem. And it's also a problem that Michael Carrick has been entrusted with this interim role because I know the club when they were contemplating possibly making a change after Liverpool, didn't believe that they had anybody in the current coaching setup that could take that interim job. So why is it different now? Why has Michael Carrick suddenly been entrusted with a huge game in the Champions League live on TalkSport 2 against Villarreal? I think we both felt, Sam, that maybe Darren Fletcher, who was very animated, very demonstrative uh, from the stands at Watford, he would be the man placing interim charge. And I can only gauge that he didn't fancy that opportunity. He thought it was a bit of a poison chalice. Don't blame him. And maybe just just looking at the teams that they're facing and the managers that um, Manchester United are going to face. Unai Emery, obviously very experienced manager. Thomas Tuchel, top of the Premier League, uh, got a, a massive CV. Mikel Arteta, who's been through hardships, which you would say either Darren or Michael are going to go through with their beginning of their managerial career. And then you've got Patrick Vieira, again, who's well-learned. He's been to the Manchester City uh, campus. He's coached there. He's been in America. He's, he's coached in, in France. They, they all supersede any experience that whether, that, whether it's Darren Fletcher or Michael Carrick have got and, and they need to go for that which, them difficulties. Which is why it won't go on for that long. Surely mm. they are going to appoint somebody else by the end of this week. They might get through the Villarreal game on the basis that they don't actually need to win it. So they've got a little bit of a buffer, but it is a big game and that's why uh, we're covering it live. And you say it's on TalkSport too. I think by the time we start... Um, putting out this podcast, it'll probably be moved to talk sport, I would have thought. Um, you know, they need someone to give them a shape. They need someone to organise the team. David De Gea saying after the game, which is frightening, he said, we don't know what to do with the ball 
and we don't know how to defend properly. I wow. mean, that is that is a damning indictment of the of the reign of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And the fact that he had the balls to come out and say that, and then the very next day, post a picture when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is sacked of him and the manager saying, oh, once a legend, always a legend or whatever. You just think, well, you know, you don't come out and say things like that unless you're trying to make sure that everybody knows that the manager has lost the plot. I mean, the whole thing is just completely mismanaged from top to bottom. Let's talk about longer term. You've mentioned Pochettino. I mean, obviously, you know, sane people would probably say, why does he want to switch PSG, who can challenge for the Champions League, Neymar, Messi, et al, uh, for the Manchester United squad. Um, Eric Ten Hag keeps being mentioned, especially by the local media in Manchester. He wants to stay at Ajax until the summer. He was asked after their victory on Sunday, which uh, they won by five goals to nil away from home against Volvec, um, whether or not he'd be interested in the Manchester United job. And he sort of batted it away and kept it away. I mean, out of all of the managers that are currently in a job that you could prize away right now, I think if Manchester United went in with a few bucket loads of cash, they could prize him away from, from the Amsterdam arena. I think there's a determination on both sides, both from his camp and from Ajax, that he will see out the season and, and see the project through at least until the summer. Well, he I can't think want the he... job that bad then, can he? Well, yeah, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting element. But how attractive is this job at this moment in time? Because I don't think there's going to be any cash to spend in January. My understanding is that they blew the entire budget last summer with the likes of Sancho and Varane and then the wages for Cristiano Ronaldo. So whoever comes in has got to has got to turn this squad into, into one that compete for a place in the top four. I'm not sure. There's so many, so many issues at play. I think in the summer with a clean canvas, with Paul Pogba heading off to pastures new good riddance to him, I think it would be a more attractive job than it is right now. Trevor, are you watching some sort of comedy video on YouTube in the background? <laughs> Have you got someone texting you or something, little funnies or something? Because you just seem to be smiling from ear to ear like a Cheshire cat, laughing well, your head off. Why are you I laughing? Don't, so I much? don't mean to, but you, it's, you it's are. Almost... You're loving it, aren't well, you? It's You're reveling in it. I'm not. It's almost. <laughs> I, I, I almost you. anticipated this before a ball was kicked this season. In the summer, when they didn't need a striker because they had a fantastic striker who set uh, triggers, who was the catalyst for everything that good that Manchester United did in Cavani. They didn't need a striker. They brought one in. They didn't really need a winger because I thought Mason Greenwood was doing superbly well in that right hand side. Uh, and developing well before he's ready to play that number nine, not just physically and, and, and playing wise, but also him, himself maturity wise as a person. And um, they needed a holding midfielder and mm. they got, I mean, listen, it's arguable that they didn't need another centre half and they've got Brown and I think that could be a good signing, but they needed a right back. They needed a holding midfielder. I think they're going to have to go back to them areas of the pitch before we see any kind of improvement. So for me, it doesn't matter who the manager is, who the, the the standing manager is, unless they start to fill them voids, which for me, they've got some weaknesses in their team, they're not going to get consistency with the results. It's an archaic structure above the manager, which means that the recruitment isn't correct. If you look at the, the recruitment that they have made, it hasn't been right. And you've identified the areas where they've messed up on that this summer. Um and that, I suppose, is another reason why it is unattractive to some of the very best managers. But all the very best managers are in jobs, so there isn't any of the very best to go after. So you're going to have to settle for someone who isn't quite 100%. I mean, Zinedine Zidane's won three Champions Leagues, but, I mean, he doesn't really fancy it, does he? Because if he did, they would hire him tomorrow. It's like if you buy the top sports car on the market, 
and then you find actually that the engine isn't working properly, that the wheels aren't fit for purpose. Manchester United on paper are still one of the biggest clubs in the world. But if you look deeper, the stadium is in a state of disrepair. Um, that there's areas of the training ground that, that need improving. The match day experience isn't fantastic uh, for the supporters. And the squad is badly in need of an overhaul as well. So I think it's it's romantic to think that Manchester United is a desirable destination right now. But until that structure at the boardroom is sorted out, I think they will struggle to attract a truly top-name manager. And actually, again, we had callers on Sunday night. We were talking about sporting directors well, there's a certain sporting director who's available, having recently announced his departure from Liverpool. That would be a real headline signing. Go and get Michael Edwards, who has been fundamental in Liverpool's success in terms of the recruitment and the fact they've won the Champions League, won the Premier League. Go and actually show people that you mean business, because at the moment they're just messing around with this once great institution. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I doubt that that will happen because of the rivalry between the two clubs. I doubt that Liverpool are going to allow that to happen. There's probably something in his con- contract that stops him from working the Premier League for a certain amount of time after he leaves. But yeah, and I understand what you mean. There needs to be some ambition on that front as well. And um, you talked about the stadium and the experience. I, I slagged the stadium off on the show on on Sunday, and I was saying, you know, that it's an absolute mess. And in comparison to the other top four stadiums, you know, or the stadiums of those top four clubs, it is a it is a place that needs to be rejuvenated. And someone said, well, with seventy five thousand people go every week, so how are they supposed to rebuild it? Well, Liverpool done it. Liverpool have done it. Liverpool have absolutely changed the entire feel of the stadium uh, with their renovations at, at Anfield, and they did so without. Uh, shutting the stadium. Yes, they closed down parts of the ground as they did it and they took the hit there, but it's a magnificent arena now. And if you look what's going to happen over the next few years, it'll be even uh, better. Look, ultimately, Manchester United are in complete disarray. I don't think they can sort this out with an interim manager. They certainly can't sort it out with an interim interim manager. Uh, The long-term appointment is going to be incredibly key, but I think above that, that needs to be sorted out first. Tomorrow, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, starts. But reality bites in the Premier League from today. Mane rides one challenge, gets it back to Simakas, who's inside the area. Salah comes towards the near post, comes to him, shoots. Saved by Ramsdale brilliantly and smashed away by the retreating Thomas Partey. Mane drops towards Thiago, left-footed shot, spilled by the goalkeeper. Mane is there, double save from Ramsdale, stops it from going beyond him. And Arteta and Klopp have come squaring up face-to-face and now they're throwing arms at one another and screaming in each other's faces. It just shows you how much this game means. It's aimed in towards Mane, who headed it beyond Ramsdale and scores, and Liverpool finally get in front. Oh, here's Jota inside the area, scoots past the defender, goes round Ramsdale, finishes. Arsenal giving the ball away once again. But again, it's Arsenal giving the ball away in their own final third. Oh, great header by Jota has released Mane down the left. He's got Salah waiting in space inside the area. He finds him and cuts it home. Easy goal. Brilliant breakaway goal from Liverpool. Here's Partey forward towards the far corner and he's tested Alisson for the first time in the match. Salah instead inside the box on the overlap is Oxlade-Chamberlain and he sends the ball square and it's finished off by Minamino inside the box. It's 4-0 now to Liverpool. Liverpool 4, Arsenal 0. Arsenal's 10-game unbeaten run come to a shuddering halt at Anfield as they so often do. Uh, even the whiff of the Mersey sends them into a bit of a panic. But this was naive, 
and a downfall of their own making, playing out from the back badly, constantly, against the world's best pressing team, Trevor. Yeah, crazy. Um, listen, I, I always thought this was a nasty test for Arsenal. I think they've been going really well. I think they've been improving. Young players have been challenged, but getting over them hurdles and, and putting in good performances. But I always thought this game at Anfield was going to be the one where it was going to be an acid test. And they would have to adapt their game because, as you just mentioned there, Sam, Liverpool press better than probably most teams in the world. Um, Arsenal try and play through the lines and try, and try and play that progressive football. But at times you have to accept you're playing against a, a group of players, and especially that front three or four, who not only are the best going forward or one of the best front lines going forward, but also pressing. And when they commit to an, a press and they stick to task and they all lock on and there's nobody free to play for, it's very difficult to play through. So you need a plan B. I don't think Mikel Arteta to believe that um, Arsenal players wouldn't be able to play through that press and they got burnt because of it. And, and, and in the end, um, it was quite an easy victory, especially with the atmosphere there at Anfield. I think that would have been a bit of a wake-up call for a lot of the younger players. And, and yeah, they'll learn from it and, and, and that can happen with young players. But from a manager's point of view, I would like them to have played a little bit longer if they had that opportunity, whether it's crossfield balls, angled balls into the, the strikers where they can get hold of it and miss that press out. They didn't do that well enough today and, and they got punished because of it. Well, well, two things. I asked him about that. I said, wasn't it sort of like a good idea to have changed the philosophy midway through the game when you realised it wasn't working? He said, yeah, we should have mixed it up a lot more. And I think he wanted them to mix it up a mm. lot more. They just didn't do that. Even Aaron Ramsdale in the end was like, come on, guys, you need to go a little bit longer for me because I'm not going to play it short anymore because we're getting pressed uh, like a pair to of... Death. Uh, <laughs> a pair of Corby trousers. Um, but yeah, And the second thing was is the atmosphere. The atmosphere was okay to start with, but it was generated and reached fever pitch once Mikel Arteta started on Jurgen Klopp. And th- th- that, again, seemed a bit unnecessary because he got very animated throughout the course of that first half without really getting any point across to his players. And I wonder whether or not all that sort of demonstrative behaviour is is to sort of, I don't know, show the Arsenal fans something rather than actually have any real effect on the team. But anyway, look, having seen their unbeaten start to the season ended at West Ham before the international break, Jurgen Klopp's team had to respond. They did that. They were cohesive. They were organised. They applied themselves properly, didn't they? They were they were impressive group. Yeah, they were. Um, and I think we predicted it on Thursday's podcast that this would be where Arsenal's mini revival, in inverted commas, comes to an end. <laughs> I didn't expect them to be on the end of quite such a hiding and it would have been probably an even bigger defeat without Aaron Ramsdale, who was excellent again. But there were mistakes made. Um, I was surprised that he stuck with Tavares. I know he's had a really good run of form in that revival, but when you've got an experienced player like Kieran Tierney coming off the back of two really impressive performances for Scotland, I think he has to play. So I think that was a mistake. And you're right, the posturing on the uh, touchline didn't do Arsenal any favours. Although on the flip side of that, we saw Antonio Conte on Sunday night on the other side of North London, uh, similarly, similarly animated. And it was worked that, for Tottenham, word? didn't it? Can <laughs> we try again? That's one of my words. It's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Just as animated yeah, and it got, worked for got, Tottenham. We got it, it's fine, we got it, we got it. Uh, Liverpool have now scored two or more goals in 15 consecutive games. Let that sink in. Liverpool have now scored two or more goals in 15 consecutive games. Unbelievable. It's the longest run by an English top flight club since Wolves did 16 in 1939. Do you remember that, Trevor? Unfortunately not. I wasn't (laughs) around. But listen, we've said it many times, the front three or four there, um, they're just 
they are um, gold class. They're, they're at the top of the tree. Um, when you come, when you think about Salah, Mane, you know, I can't think of many better and, and more prolific and clinical strikers in the Premier League uh, playing from the wide areas. And it doesn't surprise me that they've got that, that, that new record. Well, they had to be on their metal after watching Chelsea dismantle Leicester by three goals to nil away from home. Was it three? Was it four? Was it five? Was it six? I can't remember because they had so many goals disallowed in that game as well. Chelsea live on TalkSport at Saturday lunchtime. Uh, Brendan Rodgers said that he was disappointed that the team were booed off. We're a team in the last couple of years uh, that has overachieved, but it is four wins in 15 in all competitions, Crook. Yeah, and it was what's impressive about Chelsea at the moment is the fact that we wondered how they would cope without Lukaku, without Timo Werner, and they, they they're just capable of scoring goals from anywhere. I mean, the strike from Angolo Kante and the slightly bashful nature of the celebration was a joy to behold. Uh, again, the, the the wing the wing backs flying forward, the uh, the assist from Chilwell, he will have enjoyed that for the first goal against his former club. Could have scored himself as well. They just look like they have no weaknesses in their armoury. Defensively, they never look like they're going to concede. I thought it was really impressive from Chelsea. Arguably their best performance of the season. Listen, this is not a great Leicester City side at the moment. I think Brendan Rodgers um, actually is, is causing some of his own problems with the comments that he came out with afterwards about the fact that they've been overachieving and you know, maybe now this is a reality check. That's not what the fans want to hear. I know it didn't go down particularly well in Leicestershire. But that, that for me was a statement performance again from Chelsea, as, as well as Manchester City are playing. We'll come on to them. I still think at the moment, Chelsea are the team to catch. Um, Leicester's other problem is they can see too many goals from set pieces, more than any other team in the Premier League since the beginning of last season. Uh, Yuri Tielemans and Ricardo Pereira missed out because of injury, and injuries have played a massive part. But the midfield, Trevor, was swamped by Chelsea's deep forwards and high wing-backs who are playing like inside forwards and have been for a while. And it means that when you're playing up against the back three... They almost have nothing to do. And yeah. the two midfield players are completely smothered. Yeah, and I think, listen, I've been a big fan um, of Brendan Rodgers, but I, I do feel tactically he was he, he was outwitted today. Um, I thought, you know, as you just mentioned, the deep lying forward players plus the, the, the four against four in the midfield. Chelsea just dominated any second balls. Chelsea refers to it, um, which mean they're, they're in ascendancy, getting on the ball and going forward. And you look at, you know... I don't mean to be disrespectful, but you look at Albright and he's been around a long time. He's done a great job for the football club, but in a four, in a three, four, three, I just think he's a little bit exposed for the mobility and the pace and the players that he's around and I've, and being outnumbered as well. It's, it's a really difficult job for him. Um, they have suffered through injuries, um, Leicester, but I think this is starting to look quite bad on Brendan Rodgers. And then if you look at what was being said maybe four or five weeks ago about Brendan Rodgers potentially going into Manchester United and being the selected one and the chosen one and looking at him now sitting 12th in the league, I think he's doing himself a little bit of harm with the performances that his team are putting out. Um, okay, Aston Villa beat Brighton, two late goals, scored in the final six minutes from Ollie Watkins and Tyro Mings as Stevie G gets off to a winning star. But this was a triumph for grit and endeavour because Brighton actually were arguably be the better team in the game. Mings played well. Cash got forward well. Watkins got his goal, which was a very good goal Worldy. from the moment that Nakamba picks it up. Yeah, brilliant. I was pleased because I think defensively they've been really poor. Uh, got, offensively, I think they've they've shown real 
uh, appetite to, to create chances and good running and good movement off the ball. And they have created a lot of chances, but defensively, they've not been good enough. And I know Steven Gerrard would have known that. And that was one of his main points when he went into the football club. He's had a couple of weeks to work with some of the players um, and only a couple of days to work with the majority of the players. But I thought they, they stayed in the game really well. When, when Brighton were the better team, they stayed in the game, they worked hard, they were resilient, only conceded one which was early. Um, but I just thought as the game went on, they looked more likely. And the Ollie Watkins goal, I mean, to talk about taking a game by the scruff of the neck and saying, we're going to get back in this. I thought it was an absolutely superb goal. It speaks volumes for him because he's got great, you know, the, the, the pathway he's had coming through non-league and then, you know, the success story and it, it keeps on going. And, and that, again, I thought it was outstanding from him. And it was a really, really positive start for Steven Gerrard. And I'm sure most Villa fans are really excited about the future. Uh, Brighton eight now without a win after six wins in their first seven. And it's all right saying that they yeah, got a point at Anfield and they did this and they did that. But they also got a point at Norwich and at home to Newcastle as well. Games they should have won, Crook. Yeah, and it's the same old story as last season. They, they dominated the first half of that game, couldn't turn that domination into goals. And actually, I spoke to somebody from the club on Saturday night and they said, if we had Ollie Watkins in our team instead of in the Aston Villa team, we would be a lot higher in the league. And I think it's still a priority in January, finding somebody who's going to start converting those chances. Neil Mope has, has uh, fallen away. Leandro Trossard um, hasn't really stepped up with a number of goals in recent weeks either. And of course, you've got the Danny Welbeck constant. Will he be fit? Won't he be fit? More likely the latter situation. So I think they are in need still of a number nine. I'm not worried about them in terms of plummeting down the table and being dragged into a relegation battle, but they will be disappointed to come away uh, from Villa Park with nothing. But I was watching the game actually and thinking, this is a good job for Steven Gerrard, especially as Rangers got dumped out of the Scottish Cup on Sunday night after losing in the semi-final to Hibs. It's a good squad that he's inherited at Very, Aston Villa. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what the aim is for this season, but I, I don't think it would take much to propel them up the table. Yeah. Top 10 finish would be fabulous if you're uh, using Darren Lewis's lexicon. Right. Six games still to come. Days without a Premier League game. How did you cope? County edge of the penalty area, 2-0. Brilliant, brilliant goal on his return to Leicester by N'Golo Kante. An exhibition performance from the league leaders, Chelsea. Leicester City nil, Chelsea three. And it's Cairo Mings who makes it 2-0 and seals three points for Steven Gerrard. You will not believe the scoreline here at Vicarage Road. Alex Crook. Watford 4, Manchester United 1 in the fifth minute of added time. Emmanuel Dennis. Literally in two years, nothing has changed. And Eddie Howe's first game sees Newcastle go bottom of the Premier League. Brentford are 14th, finished here. Brilliant game. Newcastle 3, Brentford 3. We're all square again. It's Burnley 3, Crystal Palace 3. Oh, what a hit this is from Maxwell Corne. Yes, it's Wolves 1, West Ham United now. And it's Raul Jimenez who's got the goal. It's been coming in this second. Norwich 2, Southampton 1, this has been coming, and it's Grant Hanley. Oh, great header by Jota, has released Mane down the left, he's got Salah waiting in space inside the area, he finds him and cuts it home. Easy goal, Liverpool lay waste to Arsenal's unbeaten run in emphatic style, it finished at Anfield, Liverpool 4, Arsenal 0. If a game wasn't over already, it certainly is now, it's Manchester City 3, Everton 0.
Norwich 2, Southampton 1 on Saturday. Dean Smith started well at the Canaries. They've got back-to-back wins for the first time in the Premier League since 2016. It's not rocket science. Campwell and Gilmore started. They went to a back four, got players up the pitch around Pookie and won the game. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Really pleased. I'm pleased for him. I think he's um, he's gone in there, obviously disappointed to lose his job. He's probably got a little bit of anger, a little bit of something to prove uh, to the people that got rid of him because I thought he did a good job at Aston Villa. Um, but I think the key thing is what you just said at the top there. He's brought two great players into the team. Um, Campwell, I think, they were, you know, when he was playing last season and, and season before in the Premier League, there was a lot of interest in his signature. Uh, I'm not sure if it's a contractual thing where, you know, he's had a problem with the football club, but at the end of the day... out with Farker, didn't he? Yeah, but when you're, you're a manager of a football club, you should put them things to the side. That's not your business. That's people, sporting directors, that's director of football, that's the, the, the owners of the football club to sort that negotiations out with the player. You need to put the best, play, the best players out in the Norwich team. And by putting Gilmore in the team as well, I just feel he's, he's solved a lot of his issues, controlling football games, having quality in the forward positions. And um, it, it's not rocket science. I think they've put the better players in the team and they've ended up getting a win and it's a great start. Um, I think we all have got a lot of respect for the manager who's gone in there. Uh, I think he's been harshly uh, dealt with uh, by, by Villa being quite blunt about it. And um, I, hope he, I hope he does really well at Norwich. Uh, Southampton still on the wrong end of that statistic. They have uh, lost more games than any of the other ever-present teams in 2021 in the Premier League. Um, you're still very confident that everything's going to be okay, but I, I think I think we've said since the beginning of the season they're going to be scrapping around at the bottom half of the table no matter what happens. Yeah, but they've got a five-point buffer on Burnley, six ahead of Norwich and already eight ahead of Newcastle. They have been on a really good run of form, but I know they're frustrated um, not to pick up at least a point in this game. Having taken the lead, they conceded so quickly. They're not clinical enough. Uh, you never quite know what you're going to get from Shea Adams. But two goalkeeping errors as well for me. I think McCarthy mm. will be disappointed, not just with the uh, second goal, but probably with the first one as well. So it was a bad day at the office. But who knows? They go to Liverpool next weekend. They might be capable of picking up a point there and then suddenly all will look rosy again. And um, We all uh, enjoyed the game at St. James's Park. Um, Carl Darlow, maybe not so much, but then he had a hand in uh, the equalising goal anyway. So, I mean, we had everything there in this match, didn't we? 3-3 three, three at finish, some breathtaking goals. Joe Linton, Sam Maxim and Ben Teke, all of them on fire. Eddie Howe apparently on Zoom, quarantining in his hotel, <laughs> says to Jason Tindall, get Ryan Fraser off the bench. He comes on and creates the equalising goal. Um, look, I mean, he'll take that, won't he, sitting there in, uh, in, in one of the hotels in... Newcastle getting a point on the board in his first match in charge. Is that the most Eddie Howe result in the world, though? 3-3 <laughs> draw. He's been away for 18 months, inherits a new team. They can't defend, but they're brilliant at the other end. We've been there before, haven't we? Um, but the Newcastle it, fans would rather watch that than some of the stuff they've watched over the last two or three years. They would, but it does now mean that history is, is very much against them. I think I'm right in saying that no team in the Premier League era have ever started a season without winning any of their first 12 games and stayed up. So that's a, a trend they're going to have to buck. And I mentioned already that the point deficit, they probably need to win 10 games of their remaining 26. It is possible. And we know they've got talented forward players, but I still think once the dust has settled, despite the entertainment, that for me is two points dropped against Brentford. Good time to play Brentford. History is uh, not on your side. 
because Everton in 1994-95 didn't bother winning any of their first 12 games and survived. And Derby County in 2000-2001 actually managed to survive despite failing to win a game in the first third of the season. 13 games. So it's been done twice before. Still a big ask. Only twice. It's a a massive ask. And I think you have to look at the manager and think, as much cash as the club have got, is he the manager that can entice top, top players to come in January, knowing the situation that Newcastle United are in? So for me, that was always my um, question mark over Eddie Howe. Has he got that charisma? Has he got that personality to bring some real top players into the football club that can make a change in January? Because well, that's not I think really they're going to be his job, is it? I, I mean, think they're going to need him to do that. Yeah, as, a as a player, who's going to do as that. a player, you know, the directors, the chairmen, the owners, whoever does, the, whoever you discuss it with, you're looking at the end product who you're going to be working with on the grass day in day out. And although we know, because, you know, we understand the English game and we know what Eddie Howe's done in the past, he's an enthusiastic coach, he's a hands-on coach, he's, he's a forward-thinking coach. Is he a big enough name to, to, to try and entice some of the biggest players that they're going to need and the quality that they're going to need to come to Newcastle United? It can't just be about wages. It wasn't a surprise to me, incidentally, to see Joe Ellington have a real impact <laughs> on the game because I know he's a player they've studied quite closely and they believe that they can get a tune out of him. They believe he has attributes, maybe not as a central striker, but certainly coming in from that left-hand side. Yeah, indeed. Okay, Norwich at Southampton and Newcastle-Brentford then, two very good games. Tottenham against Leeds was quite entertaining as well. Tottenham eventually winning it by two goals to one. Antonio Conte, uh, knowing that going into this game, Tottenham hadn't won in any of their previous three Premier League games. And it took them a while to get going against an injury-ravaged Leeds United who gave 19-year-old forward Joe Gelhardt his first Premier League start. Kane missed a couple of chances. Son missed a good opportunity after Leeds had taken the lead through Dan James. And by the way, that was a very good goal that uh, Mm. Dan James scored, a good team goal. Uh, But once they got on terms, I always felt, Trevor, as if there was only going to be one winner. Manager's done his job, hasn't he, at halftime? They've started a little bit sluggishly. Um, I thought Leeds were the better team first half, more energy, more dangerous uh, dangerous situations in in the first half. They've gone in at half time. I don't. I wouldn't like to suggest what's been said, but looking at his body language when the goals went in for Tottenham in the second half, um, he's quite animated, isn't he, Antonio? And I think there will be a few home shoes that went down. It's a great win for Tottenham. It's a great win for the fans. Um, they've seen the manager there going and earn his corn at half time and, and turn this group around. And it's a really big win for for Tottenham. You know, they've, they've had a really difficult start to the season. Obviously, with the managerial situation, it's been very tough. But I think this is a real, real uh, feather in the cap for not only the manager, um, but for the players. And, and they'll start to trust him now because they've worked with him for, what, a couple of weeks. Uh, they'll really start to trust that he can take them forward and take them to where they want to be. It was interesting towards the end, though, that he was the one standing on the touchline, almost conducting the crowd and trying to whip up a little bit of energy amongst the Tottenham Hotspur supporters to try and get them over the line. He then was right rather excitable when the full-time whistle goes, as we always see from Antonio uh, Conte. Uh, Reguillon said afterwards he felt dead. He had to run so much. Um, but he really <laughs> wants to shake this side up. I, I want to change everything, he said. That, that's sort of his mantra. I mean, I don't know how, how many biscuits you eat on a, on a day-to-day basis, <laughs> Crook, Trev. I mean, I only ever limit myself to two digestives. But John Terry 
was on a plane the other day and he had a, two biscuits in front of him and he was saying, I'm doing a bit of reading. And Antonio Quan, uh, Conte actually tweeted him and said, no, John, only one biscuit. Now, he's, <laughs> he's quite big on nutrition, even to players that have gone a long, a, a long time ago. Well, that's what it's all about, isn't it? One biscuit makes all the difference between uh, winning and losing. I think the <laughs> fact he was so uh, demonstrative probably shows that he knows how big a job this is because it isn't a great Tottenham squad. So every point, every victory, he can pick up is all that more pressure. But just focusing on Leeds for a second and without wanting to alienate the whole of that part of Yorkshire again, they're in trouble, aren't they? I mean, I looked at their 11 and to me, it looked like a championship side. I know they've got injuries, but it shows how reliant they are on the likes of Rafinha and, and Patrick Bamford. Those two can't get fit quickly enough. But they're the team at the moment hovering only two points above the relegation places and they're just not playing particularly well. And uh, we've said already, we expect this to be Marcelo Bielsa's last season in charge. How much credit has he got in the bank? If this run of disappointment continues, might the owners have to make a change? Mm, I doubt it, but Leeds mm. United fans, I'm sure will let you know. Uh, right. Let's get to uh, the Etihad stadium. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Uh, Manchester City in good form. They beat Everton by three goals. Daniil Silver, Sterling, and Rodri with the goals. Oh, thank God Raheem Sterling scored. Um, you know, Sterling has fluctuated over the course of this year, hasn't it? He's, he's not fluctuated. 
he's not he's not played. Well, he's, it's not fluctuated for Manchester City, but it's certainly fluctuated in terms of his own personal form because he's been brilliant for England and not so good uh, for Manchester City. Uh, he was also denied a penalty when he went down rather cheaply uh, inside the area. It was initially given but overturned. I think that was the right decision by the VAR, Chris Kavanagh. Uh, but the goal he did score was a thing oh. of beauty, mainly because of the assist from João Cancelo. <laughs> You know what it reminded me of, and I commentated this game, when Eric Cantona was asked, what was your favourite Manchester United goal? And he, he said it, it wasn't a goal, it was a pass with the outside of the foot to Dennis Irwin against Tottenham. This was on a par with that from João Cancelo. And he was brilliant, Cancelo. Mm. I mean, he, he is everything you need in a modern fullback. I thought Manchester City was superb and that goal just really encapsulated it. Good finish from Sterling as well. And Rodri's rocket wasn't bad either, was it? Almost took the net off. But Pickford, could he have done better or was he unsighted, Trevor? I think he was a little bit unsighted. He's too uh, short. <laughs> I think he was a little bit unsighted. And I think just the pace of the pace of the shot from Rodri. But just going back to that Cancelo pass and the finish, let's not take any way, anything away because that's not an easy um, skill set to have in the locker and to execute. And we've seen Raheem with the penalty, with the one-on-one with Pickford, almost for his lines, which... You know, you see the chance with Pickford and you, you're almost kind of sure that he's not going to score. And this one, which is much more instinctive, it, it drops at him. It's from a weird angle. It's outside of the boot pass, which was absolutely sublime. And first time finish, he's just got the right contact on it. I was pleased for Raheem because obviously he's got, he's, he's been going through a, a, a really difficult time, not playing games for, well, for England he has been, but not for Manchester City, not being able to get a game. And because of injuries, he's been given that opportunity and, I think it shows what we've heard managers say about him previously. He comes in, he trains his socks off every day and he's a fantastic character. And I think he proved that today. Great goal, fantastic win for Manchester City. Very, very dominant in the possession and it could have been two or three more as well. Yeah, Everton, um, you thought under Rafa would be tight and compact, but they haven't been. They were passive and distinctly second best in this game. A lot of that is to do with the fact that, that City were very good. But also over the last few weeks, really, you've looked at Everton and you just, oh, they're missing a few, especially Decore. Um Pickford's too short, I heard you say. You were shouting <laughs> over Trevor. Pickford's too short. He's only, he's only one inch shorter than Aaron Ramsdale. Just doesn't seem to have the stature for me, and I just felt like if he was a couple of inches taller, he may well have been able to get a fingertip on that shot. Not all come from the land of the giants like you, you know. (laughs) Yeah, but you need to be, I think, to be a modern goalkeeper. Maybe Aaron Ramsdale is, you know, an exception to that rule, but I I just don't have confidence in Pickford. Not just because of his height. Six foot one Pickford, six foot two Ramsdale. I do think Ramsdale is. Showing his talents better than Pickford oh, is at the moment. I mean, he's absolutely. Don't, don't start, Cookie. I'll give us ten minutes. He'll be on it. He'll be on him for ten minutes Trevor, talking Trevor, about how good he Trevor. is. He, he did get this one right about uh, he Aaron did. Ramsdale, We've but then again, if you that. throw enough darts, eventually one of them hits the board. <laughs> um, so let's not go over the top. Uh, Burnley against Crystal Palace uh, Saturday. Another three-three draw. Thrilling three-three draw. Cornet's goal. I think the pick of the bunch here, but. Should Joachim Anderson have been sent off at the end for bringing down Chris Wood when Wood was going through and the scores were level? 100%. 
Um, I, I can't believe, uh, A, that the on-field officials didn't make that decision and B, that VAR didn't make it for them. I, I can understand why Sean Dyche at the end of the game was so animated, uh, would would have got a strike on goal. He was away from the defender. He hauled him down. It's the most simple decision that you could make. It was a red card. So we saw this um, similar incident in the game, uh, I think Leicester-Arsenal, Johnny Evans didn't get sent off and it was Manchester City Crystal Palace and Laporte did get sent off. This was much closer to the penalty area. And I mean, it was more blatant. Five yards from the penalty area. It was blatant. The only thing you can say in the referee's defence is that the ball was kicked long from defence high up the field and Simon Hooper was miles away. I mean, miles away. It was 50 yards away. But that's and not that the play. does not excuse the VAR not looking at it. Absolutely. And I think players, fans, coaches, managers, owners... That's all we want from the referees, consistency. And we've just not seen that. You know, it's almost like you're throwing the coins up and you don't know which one, which, which side it's going to be on, uh, the, the way that they interpret it, these decisions. And for me, they need to have a good chat about that. The referees, uh, the PGMOL need to sit down and decide what is what. Because for me, that looked like a definite red card. He was through on goal. He certainly would have got a shot on target, like you just mentioned. And the consistency is just not there with the referees. Um, okay, that was Burnley Crystal Palace 3 3. A Warhampton Wanderers beat West Ham United. And Trevor, uh, who's been smiling all the way through this, is probably going to have a downturn in mood now. Um, but first of all, can we say the winning goal was a thing of beauty, wasn't it? A team goal that started at the back, choreographed on the training ground, finished by Jimenez for his third goal of the season. It was excellent, group. Yeah, it was. And uh, I think. The return to form, the rejuvenation, if you like, of Raul Jimenez after that horrible head injury has been one of the the feel-good stories of the season. And actually, Wolves have been a pretty feel-good story as well, mm. having stunk the place out with some of their performances in the second half of the last campaign. You look at the league table, there are only four points off the Champions League places, four points behind uh, West Ham. They're closer three to them than draw. Manchester United. Uh, three wins, they are. Three <laughs> wins and a draw from their last five games. Not many people have talked about him, but Bruno Large, quietly, is doing a very good job there. Are you suggesting that he should get the interim-interim job or the interim job or the long-term job? <laughs> I, I think he'll be the next interim-interim-interim manager, maybe. Okay. okay, in the interim. Let's look at West Ham. Um, disappointment for them. After beating Liverpool Manchester City in the Cup, they lose away at Wolves. It feels very West Ham, Trevor. Yeah, um, listen, I, I half anticipated this result. I think I've been watching Wolves' improvement over the, the season, um, especially since Bruno Lage came in. I think they've got players back. You look at Jimenez, you know, he's got over his problem now. He's starting to score goals freely. He, he's an absolute legendary striker for me uh, and what he's been through and, and to be able to continue to get the goals as he does. He's certainly the talisman for them. But you look at their midfield area, he's stacked with, with quality, with... Um, pure technicians in there. And if you get the energy right and you get that shape right, which I feel that Bruno Lage has been doing with this team recently, uh, they're going to pick up a lot of results. And this shouldn't be a surprise because this squad has not changed that much since they were finishing seventh in the Premier League at home against the West Ham team who were flying. But some of the players have been playing international football. They've been, you know, Jamaica, this, that and the other. They've been flying all over the place. I don't think this is a massive surprise, and I have anticipated this result. So, please for please for Bruno and, and, and Wolves, and and, and obviously uh, Jimenez. It, 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 was, it was a tough. I think this is a tough place to go now for the rest of the season. I think he's got them organised. They understand what their roles are in the team, and they've got good players. Must be great being Trevor Sinclair because you know going into a weekend that even if one of your teams 
gets beat, then <laughs> six or seven of the other teams that yeah. you support are going to you know, give you a positive result. You're always going to be happy one way or another on a Saturday Glass night. half full, Cookie. More, Glass more sides than a dodecahedron. Are we, are we mentioning QPR? Oh, we'll leave that. We'll leave that. <laughs> um, right. Okay. Uh, that's it from us as far as the Premier League is concerned. I just wanted to go through the top 10 in the betting for the Manchester United job. So these are the, 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 the names that are in the frame for the next permanent manager of Man- Manchester United. Now, Am I in ob- there? Ob- obviously, usually when, you, when, when a job is announced or it becomes vacant, there is a hot favourite and the odds are really tight. I mean, this is the most open field I have ever seen for a top job. Everybody's around about, or the main contenders that we've talked about, are sort of five or six to one or whatever. And then further back, they're they're sort of tens and twelves. And then there's the bigger ones at twenties and thirties. But really, I mean, nobody has got a clue as to who is going to get this job. So let's just ask you what you think. Just a simple Yes or no, um, uh, Trevor. The, the favourite, the current favourite, is Brendan Rodgers. No, uh, Crook. Are you into him? Sorry, are you into him? Into him? No. Uh, Zinedine Zidane is the second favourite. Yes. See, I'm going to say no, and I don't really know why. It's because he's only done it at Real Madrid, <laughs> and even the second time round, he, he wasn't great. Yeah. I think that's what it is. But I, th- what, I, I what actually those think three, those three European cups. I think if you get him in an interview room, for me, you'll be blown away. I spoke to Steve McManaman about him because when he took the job initially, I was like, what's he like? He's flying, he's, he's winning things and, and all the rest of it. And Steve told me he's so humble, he's so shy that it's almost you inspire the boys by being the best player in the world or once was the best player in the world. And then going into being the manager, and you you kind of shy when you address the players. Yeah. I think not I think not sure that ticks boxes I'm not, I'm for not me. Going with that, that's not that's not doing it for Te- me. Tactically, he's, he he understands the game inside out. I think I think if you get him in an interview room, you won't you'll be it'd be difficult not to be very very impressed by what he's. What well, he's listen, he's about. got a great CV, so you would expect that he's got all the facets to be a top manager. Can he speak English? I believe he's been taking lessons. Mm, really. Um, okay. Um, Michael Carrick is the third favourite. A firm no from me. He's a mate of yours, Trevor? He is, yeah. Um, I'm not sure where he's at with his coaching. And I, what I can say is he's changed because when I played with him, he was a young boy and he was quite tentative and he was quite happens shy. Over 20 years or so. Yeah, yeah. but I've I played a, a few uh, charity games for him in, in his golf and I've tried to, I've had a couple of little runnings with him where. I've had a little bit of crack with him and he has changed. So he has got a turn in him. I think he's a lot more serious. He's a lot more um, sure of himself. Okay. And I think if he did get the job, he, he, he wouldn't, it wouldn't be for the, for the want of trying. He, I think he's got, he's got the attributes that could make a top manager. I'm just so, not sure it's too soon. So a quick yes or no? Yes. Okay. Um, Maurizio Pochettino, just a quick yes or no? No essays? Yes, with, yes with bells on from me. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he did very well in the in the French league after stepping into the most decorated team in in PSG's <laughs> history and managing to to lose the league to Lille last year. Uh, Eric Ten Hag. Yes. I'm going to say no. Ralph Rangnick. No. Just because he's he's there taking the dough, I'm just going to say no. Laure, uh, Laurent Blanc. No. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Laura, really, Laura yeah. Monk? Yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, Again, he, he's, he's I mean, taking not, the double. I mean, I, mean, I know, and I'm, I'm now I'm sounding like I'm being facetious, but it's not the, the the strongest collection of candidates, is it? Anyway, they might surprise us. You never know. Oh, hold on, what was this? Gareth Southgate. Mm. No. You put yes. your thumbs up, Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it there. Uh, Alex, thank you very much. Trevor, thank you very much. That's it from us. We're back on Thursday afternoon with a preview to a mammoth weekend. Manchester United go to Chelsea next weekend. Who will be in the United dugout by then? Well, we might be able to tell you on Thursday. You never know. Enjoy your week. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.